Hebrews chapter 5, and I want to draw your attention to the verse 11 and following, of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. It is especially the words at the end of verse 11, Ye are dull of hearing, the Apostle Paul says to the Hebrews. Now this is an expression that makes us think that Hebrews is more like a sermon than an epistle. It's very different from all of other epistles of Paul. Now it does have a, an ending that is a form of an epistle, but all that goes before it, it has no preface the way epistles normally have, and it just sounds very much like a sermon. And that's the way that I've been treating it. A sermon of the Apostle Paul, Psalm 110, his main Old Testament text, as he brings the word of God. And whenever I say it's a sermon that's maybe been recorded and written down, that comes out in a text like this. Paul seems present, and he seems to have his congregation before him. And he says, you're dull of hearing. Now how would he know that? Unless he was there present. He has detected something. He detects they're kind of lost at this point. As he's been speaking about Aaron and speaking about Melchizedek. And he says, I have many, many things to say on him. Hard to be uttered. And then he goes off. And he doesn't come back to Melchizedek again until chapter 7. So he's like one who's been distracted. And a preacher observes his congregation. Now you might think he's so into the word, he's so into the text, and, but he, he does look at his congregation from time to time that he speaks to. He can read somewhat the congregation and he knows when he's lost them, he knows when they're not following him, he knows when they're distracted, not giving the attention that, that they ought to be, he knows when they're straying in thoughts, he knows when they're maybe not even interested, or maybe utterly bored, or he knows when he's maybe going over their heads somewhat. And he has to slow down and maybe be a wee bit simpler. He tries to read the congregation. But I tell you this. It takes a very bold pastor to say what Paul says here. You're dull of hearing. You're dull of hearing. And Paul's not afraid to say that. You're babies. He's not afraid to rebuke them. And to rebuke them rather sharply too, I may add. And that's what we have here, a, a rebuke. That's the first way that I would like you to look at it. It's a very humbling word. Why is it that Paul can do this? How can he rebuke his congregation? Well, he can do it because, you know, he, he wants to keep God's law. Because there's one thing that Paul is, he's, he's a righteous man. He's a very moral and godly man. But one aspect of the law of God is, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbour and not suffer sin upon him. 
And that's really what Paul is doing. He feels obliged to do this because he's a righteous man. To rebuke them. Because he sees a moral defect. And he feels he has to do it. You're dull of hearing. And he follows his saviour in this regard. Because what did the saviour say to the churches? He said, as many as I love, I rebuke. I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So, Paul is just following his Saviour when he says to them, You're dull, you're dull of hearing, and you need to shake yourselves. And you know, he didn't only do it himself, he, he realized and he knew that it was a very important thing in the ministry. Any young pastor that he trained, and we know that he trained a number of young pastors, and we know that from epistles that he wrote to Timothy and Titus, and whenever he was writing to them, he was very careful to stress. Now you young men, don't you be hesitating as pastors to rebuke your people. And so he said to Timothy, them that sin, rebuke before all. In other words, part of the public ministry, just say it as it is, hit it out. Now of course he's not, he's not saying about naming people, but getting to the, to the matter at hand. Before all, not on some corner, so that all the congregation will profit from it. That others may fear too, he says. So rebuke before all. And again he said to Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, with all long suffering and patience. And then he wrote to Titus, he said similar things. There were some faults in the Cretans, amongst whom Titus was laboring. Rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. So rebuking was a thing required of pastors in New Testament times. But today, sadly, rebuking doesn't go down too well in congregations and in churches. So it's not a thing that's, that's done too much today. There are preachers who have been chased from their pulpits and from their church because they scolded along this fashion. Of the Apostle Paul. Paul is a man who's not worried about his salary. You can see that. But he's worried about his sheep. Not his elevation. But their edification. That's his interest. And he's prepared to rebuke. In order to that. He's not caring about fame. He's caring about feeding the sheep. And so this is why he does this you see. Paul doesn't want to be a nice man-pleasing, a nice-pleasing pastor, but he wants to be a truly spiritual one who knows what the flock really needs and what they need to hear, and he's not afraid to tell them either. So that's the kind of man we have here. And really the whole problem in the modern church today is that it is filled with huge failure to rebuke sin. And to rebuke sinners. And to rebuke saints. When they require it. We learn from this passage. That you ought to expect preachers. To rebuke you. If they see in you. Failure. To heed. And to obey. God's precious word. Now we ourselves. And I personally know that Hebrews. 
is a very heavy epistle. And if we were listening to this sermon for the first time, I feel very much that I'd be amongst this people. I'd be lost at a first reading. I mean, I've had to study it and go over it, hours and hours, go over it again and again and again. But Paul here is just giving out this sermon kind of for the first time, and they're hearing it for the first time, and they've got to Melchizedek, and I think we'd all be lost. So we're maybe not surprised in some, some regard, but probably all have been turned off by now, uh, particularly us in this generation in which we live today. So I go through the epistle slowly, bit by bit, piecemeal by piecemeal, so that we can try to understand it more. And I can see some of these people say, oh, slow down, pastor. Hold on, Paul. You've lost me. Uh, I think you're just going, you've gone over my head. You're going to have to slow down. Maybe that's just how we would respond here as well. And so the congregation might blame Paul. But Paul won't take any blame. That's the thing. He doesn't say I'm too deep. He doesn't say I'm, you know, intellectual and away over the heads. He refuses to take any blame. He refuses to have any fault about the matter. Paul notices this dullness, this being away from the word. He's lost them and he digresses to rebuke them. I've many more things to say about Melchizedek, of whom have many things to say. They're hard to be uttered. They're deep things, they're deep teachings concerning our glorious Redeemer in the typology of Melchizedek, it's hard to present them to you in a way that's appealing to you. And the fault was not with me, Paul says. It's with you. You are dull of hearing. That's what he says. So he won't take any blame on the the matter. I'm finding it very hard to speak to you because you're dull of hearing. It's your problem. He knows his stuff. He knows he's mighty in scripture. He studied the word. He knows the word. He has the truth. He has the Holy Spirit. And he gives him the word. And the problems, as far as he's concerned, the problem's not the sermon. The problem's not the word of God. The problem is with the Hebrews. And that's why he rebukes them thus. You see, dullness of hearing congregation, which I'm speaking about tonight, It's a spiritual problem. It's a moral problem, really. We don't have any problems, you know, commentators commentating on this matter, or some political business, or or some sport business, you know, because there's all enthusiasm for it, and we can take it all in, we don't miss a thing. But in the matter of commentating on the Word of God, God's people miss so much, because very often there's a spiritual problem And that's what Paul is picking up on here. It's a spiritual problem. It's not just Paul the preacher who has the problem of clarity, but it's Paul the preacher who has problem with his people in this dullness of hearing. And this problem isn't just a problem that Paul has faced. It's a problem all preachers face because it's a problem that all Christians have in their hearts. Dullness of hearing. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ, he had this problem. I have many things to say unto you, he says. But you're not able to bear them. I haven't been able to tell you them. You can't take them in. And then on other times he said, are you, are you without understanding? 
Do you not perceive? Do you not understand? Can you not comprehend? And you remember how he said, Oh fools, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written. He's always finding fault with his apostles. He had patience. He bore with them. But on occasions, he had to rebuke them for their slowness, for their lack of understanding, for their not perceiving after all this time. So it was a problem the Lord Jesus Christ faced as well. Uh, it's not that the Hebrews are numbskulls either, and they have no brains. Let me tell you, the, the people who heard this sermon have better brains than us. Our brains have been fried by the TV and by electronic devices. We just don't think the same. Endless graphics, we want endless graphics, endless pictures. This modern age, that's what it's always crying out for. And now when you get a magazine, it has to be half pictures and half words. I mean, years ago, it wasn't like that. They didn't need pictures. The words formed the pictures in their mind. They were thinkers. They hadn't brains that were fried. So this was a far more able congregation than a modern congregation. And they weren't numbskulls. They knew the word of God. Because these people, they were always hearing, always listening. Always in little discussion groups. Always talking about the word of God. They were thinkers. Deep thinkers. Even the ordinary people. They went out to hear orations. They went out to hear the orators speak. They weren't distracted by TV. They weren't sitting, as it were, in front of the TV watching the latest soap opera for hours and hours and hours. No, they, they were thinkers who were collecting all that they heard. And so that's the kind of congregation that he's addressing. They're hearers and talkers. And you can tell that this audience isn't made up of new believers. That's not the problem that they're newly converted, newly professing. They knew their Old Testament. Paul's quoting from the Psalms all the time. He doesn't give chapter and verse. He doesn't go into detail because he knows that they know them. They know the Psalms. Why do they know the Psalms? Because they're always singing them. They're always going over them again and again and again. In the Christian liturgy in the New Testament synagogues. They know their psalms. They probably have memorized their psalms by heart. Probably in the deepest depths of their soul. So, so they know all these verses. They know Psalm 110. They know about Melchizedek. They know the text. They're not numbskulls. They know them inside out far better than any believer in a modern church today. That at every meeting... They repeat them again and again and again. And it's by that repetition that they have imbibed these psalms that the apostle is quoting. Indeed, he says to them in verse 12, you ought to be teachers. You've been in Christ's school long enough. You've been through the university of the Lord Jesus and you ought to have graduated now and all of you be teachers of what I'm preaching on to you in this sermon today, he says. You ought to be doing my job. You're that long saved now on hearing the sermons. You know, a student today goes to university for four years and you have a teacher and that's the way it is. How long have you been members here, he's saying to them. How long have you been under the word? Instead of teachers, what do we have? Well, he tells us there in verse 12, you have need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. 
the word of God. You have become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You're babes. That's what it says. I mean, that's a short rebuke. That would humble you. You're babes. You can't even take the meat. You just, all you're good for is the milk. So that's quite a sharp rebuke. Dull of hearing. Paul has already used this word hearing. It first occurs in chapter 4 verse 2. Unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them. And you see that second word preached. It's not the same as the first word preached. Unto them was the gospel preached. But the word preached. And it's this word heard. The word heard didn't profit them. They heard the preaching. They got the sermons. Just like you're getting the sermons. But it's not profiting them. It didn't profit them. And it's not profiting you. It didn't profit them because they hadn't faith. It didn't mix with faith. But that's not your problem, Paul is saying. Your problem is it's not profiting you because you're dull. You're just dull of hearing. That's your problem. And so the problem is dullness. Well, what is that, you say? Why does he choose this, this word dull? What does it mean? Well, it's not, it's not a word used much in the New Testament. And that's not very helpful, for we like words to be used plenty. And that gives us an understanding of their meaning in the context. But it only occurs twice. And in fact, both occasions in this epistle to the Hebrews. Paul uses it twice. We have it here in our text. And its next occurrence is in chapter 6, the next chapter, and verse 12. He uses it again. Be not slothful. Be not dull. He uses the same word. He knows he'll pick up on it. You're dull of hearing. Don't be dull. I want you to stop being dull. The word means slow. Sluggish. Lazy. Like someone just waking up in the middle of the night. This slothfulness is a heart problem. This is what the apostle is saying. It's a moral problem. It's not a mental deformity. Whereas they behave like a child. There there are people that have mental deformities. They don't have intellectual ability. They have just the mind of a child in some, some respects. Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about people who have fine intellectual abilities. And when it comes to politics and sport and this and that and the other, they're, they're well able to exercise those mental abilities. But in the spiritual things of God's word, there's, there's a sluggishness, a, a slothfulness, a, a lack of interest, a lack of the desire to give intensity of thought to it. The lack of desire to be even bothered about the deep things of God. And so that's what he's talking about. He's speaking of this slowness of desire, this lack of interest. And so it's a very sharp rebuking word, as you can imagine, to to be called dull. You know, if anybody called, you're a slothful man. Boys, you'd you'd just jump into a rage, wouldn't you? You you don't like that kind of talk. And that's what what Paul is saying to them. You're you're a slothful hearer. You're a slothful hearer. It's quite insulting in our modern age. And yet he called it what it is. You're not a noble person at all, you Christian. That's what he's saying to them. There's an interesting use of the word in the Old Testament scriptures. I'm talking about the Greek translation of the Hebrew. 
It only occurs once in the Greek translation of the Hebrew, and it's the Greek translation of Proverbs 22, verse 29. And if you turn to that now, it's a very interesting illustration of what Paul is saying here. Proverbs 22, verse 29. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? The wise man is speaking about diligence, the the opposite of being slothful. A man in his business is all into his business. He's so excited. He takes up every item, every every element of it, every angle. There's nothing that he misses. He's, He's so hungry about his business. He's really into it, diligent of his business. Well, if you see a man diligent in his business, he's going to stand before kings. He's going to stand before noble people. He's going to stand before great and worthy people. There's a worthy man really into his business. He's going to get his reward. And his reward is he's going to get a place of prominence. And even the kings and the nobles are going to recognize him. And then Solomon adds this wee negative word. He shall not stand before mean men. And you see when the Hebrews come to translate that into Greek, they took this word dull. He'll not stand before dull men. He'll not stand before slothful men. And the dull man is the opposite of the king. He's the opposite of the noble man. So diligent men stand before kings, nobles, but they'll not stand before dull men. The Hebrew word itself, I mean, speaking of the Hebrew word mean now, the Hebrew word itself means dark, obscure men, men who are in darkness, men who don't understand much, men who don't see much, dull. Whenever we talk about the, the, the sun's going down, it's getting dull, isn't it? It's very cloudy, it's, it's getting dull. That, that's the meaning of the word. Someone in darkness, someone who doesn't really care about that, someone who's not seeing the light, mean, dull. And so it's the opposite of kingly, noble. Dull hearers are ignoble. Ignoble Christians. It made me think about the Berean believers. Paul and Silas, he came to Berea. We read concerning the Bereans that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They weren't mean, they weren't dull. They had nobility about them because... They searched the scriptures daily. They received the word with all readiness of mind. Their hearts was in it. Their minds were in it. They were excited about it. Excited about the word. And they searched the word. And they went into every corner. They were diligent in the word. They were excited and searching and inquiring. And going deeper and deeper and deeper into it with Readiness of mind, that's what the Holy Spirit says. They weren't dull at all, they weren't slothful, they weren't ignoble, they were noble because they had this excitement about the word, this this readiness of mind to drink in everything of Scripture and all of the sermons that Paul had for them. Now Paul didn't have to tell them, you're dull of hearing. They had the readiness of mind. They were focused. They weren't lazy. They weren't insolent and mean. They weren't dull. And you know, this is a problem of sinners, you see, the unconverted. And it's a big problem in our Western secular society today. It really is. Because, you know, vast multitudes of people, they're really agnostic. They say they don't know if there's a God or not. They're ignorant and they admit it. I don't know if there's a God or not. 
And you know something else? They don't really care whether there's a God or not either. That's a problem, you see. The problem is, is a moral problem. He can be known. But the problem is they don't want to know. That's, that's really the problem. They don't desire to know. They want to remain ignorant. They have no interest. They have no care to know. They're just dull and slow and careless and utterly unconcerned. Not hungry to find out. Not searching, not inquiring. There's none of that. That's the problem with our secular society. It really is. But Paul isn't speaking of agnostics. He's not speaking of those outside the church, the ungodly. He's not speaking of the secular. He's sadly speaking to saints. And saints are ignorant too. And they remain babes for the simple reason they don't want to know. They don't want to grow. It's not their priority, you see. Today, many Christians don't want teaching. That's the fact of the matter. It's not a priority in their picking a church, I can tell you. They are excited about far different things than teaching. What they have for the young people. What they have for the women. What little groups do they have? How do they break the church up into the little groups? Do they have this? Do they have that? What activities are going on? Do they have many coming? These are the questions that are asked now about a church. Do they give the simple gospel? I can't have all that theology, all that teaching, all that deep stuff that Paul gives. I can't have any of that. That turns my head in. You know, many years ago, there was a preacher in Scotland. He's long dead now. Actually, he was in the Church of Scotland, which was liberal then, but certainly not as liberal as it is now. And he started off his ministry in a, in a fairly liberal church. And he was a fairly evangelical preacher. And he knew the people need converted. And whenever he went in, he started to preach the gospel, the simple gospel. He started to be very evangelistic in his messages. Because the people were not converted, and he saw them converted. And as well as that, because he was preaching the gospel so far, they were coming from all the other churches, especially on the Lord's Day evening. And his church was being packed from people from other churches because of this, the evangelical preaching of the gospel, which was a good thing. But he realized these people aren't growing, especially these Christians coming from other churches. They're not strong saints. They're not deep in the things of God. And they're coming here. They're, they're feeding on the simple gospel, as it were. He realized that he had to build his own people up and faith, build them up to be mature, build them up to perfection, build them up to be able to tell right from wrong and to have this maturity and not behave like children in their everyday life. And that only comes through through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, being built up by the Word, the whole counsel of God. And so he began to expound the Scriptures and to give the whole counsel of God. And you know what happened? This church began to empty. And those people who were coming from the other churches, they went away. They thought he stopped preaching the gospel, but he was continuing to preach the gospel. But he was teaching the deep things of God to feed the flock. But they didn't want it. They were dull of hearing. They weren't interested. And this is the kind of problem Paul has. They're dull of hearing. Not interested. And so the problem is that they're poor Christians. 
And it makes Paul sad. And a Christian who remains a babe all his life is not a good example for Christ. Because you think there's something wrong. I mean, if you watch you know, the people going out of your neighbour's houses down through the years and, and the little baby is still coming out a little baby, you know there's something wrong there. And that little baby is still behaving like a little baby, still does no right from wrong, still does stupid and silly things. You know there's something wrong. And a Christian ought not to be like that. What's the problem of just being a babe all the time and just keeping on in the milk? Well, he says there in verse 13, everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. He doesn't know how to live for God. He doesn't know what is important to God. He's just taking in the milk. He knows nothing about the word of righteousness, about living a a godly, mature, adult Christian life, which belongs to them that are full age, even those who, by reason of having their senses exercised, are able to discern between good and evil. They've grown up. They know right from wrong. They know what they can't have. They know where they can't go. Because they're mature. They know how they ought to behave. With patience and dignity. And with faith and godliness. Because they're mature. But if you're babes. You know none of that. So this is why it really gets to Paul's heart. This matter. They can't tell good from evil, really. And if this and that comes into the church where where it's just full of babes who haven't been established in the deep things of God, if that's the kind of people that's in a congregation, anything can go into that church and they don't give a toss because they haven't got Christian maturity to recognize those things coming into this church are harmful, really, in the long run. They're wrong. They're not going to help the church. Some, some of these churches, if a liberal comes into the pulpit, nobody gives a toss. They don't care. Or if the minister meets up with the priest, they don't care. They don't have any worry about it. They're still little babes with the simple gospel, as they say. But Christians ought to have concern about good and evil and right and wrong. And not wanting things coming into the church that that are harmful and and they're discerning. You see, discerning, that's a very important word that Paul uses here. You're dull of hearing, you're babes. You're you're not able to discern. You'll not discern that this coming into the congregation will harm it. That's why uh, elders ought to be mature Christians, not babes. What state are we going to be in if the elders are babes? And particularly, what state are we going to be in if the pastor and the preacher is a babe? Preaching baby things week by week. And not wanting to get the people established in the deep things of God. So Paul is really stirred up and goes off in this tangent. So there are plenty of churches today that wouldn't dare have Paul in the pulpit. And if he was cross with these Hebrews, what would he be now in a whole lot of congregations? I know what they'll say about him. That man will wreck the church. He'd be a church wrecker preaching like that. Rebuking dull hearers, congregation, will not wreck the church. It will purify it. It will sanctify it. It may drive a lot of people away. It'll be better off without them. The word divides. The word scatters. 
but it builds up God's true elect in faith. It blesses the saints. Or at least Paul thinks so. He thinks we're able to receive it. So we learn from this then that teaching is fundamental to the life of believers. It's central. It's so important. Going on to perfection. Perfection is the word that he uses in the next chapter. He's not talking about sinless perfection as as the Methodists preach. He's talking about Christian maturity. He's talking about an adult who can just tell and discern everything in his context, everything that harms, everything that does good. You see, a child can't. A child run here further, pull the boiling water over its head, touch the fire, put his finger in the candle and all of this and that because the child isn't mature to discern. But a Christian who has been built up by the word of God, he, he has discernment. And he knows That'll harm the church. We can't have that. That's not for the spiritual well-being of the saints. That's the kind of believers Paul wants to build up. And so teaching is fundamental. And it's not something that has to be appendixed to a midweek meeting. Oh, the Bible studies for the midweek. The deep things and the expounding of the word. We'll have that in the Bible study in the midweek. Or maybe in the Bible, Bible class before the meeting on the Lord's Day morning, as if the church services are not to focus on this aspect of the expounding of the Word of God. Every meeting is teaching. Every meeting is giving place. That's why we have pulpits here. You know, it's not a stage. It's a pulpit. It's a lectern for the Bible and for the preaching of the Word of God so that you may be godly and mature. And so... Bible exposition isn't for just some special meetings, as it is the case in many places. Most sound preachers would just wish that their people would just give themselves to the ordinary meetings with all their heart and soul and night. So, child of God, listen to your Lord whenever he says, take heed how you hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Appreciate what you have. And take heed how you hear it. Because it can be taken away. It can. So appreciate it. And don't be dull of hearing. But give your whole heart to it. Desire the word. Have an appetite. Be keen to hear the word. Want sermons. Desire more sermons. And don't be distracted under the word. Don't be looking at your watch all the time. How long is this going to go on for? When is it going to finish? That's the main thing in your mind. Don't be like that. Be excited. Be taken up in the word of God. Be keen. Be focused. Insist on more. Not less. Have an appetite. Have a hunger for the word of God. And so brethren and sisters like Paul, we have many things to say. There's so much in the Bible, you know. It's so big a book. It's so exciting. And yet a man's ministry is so short. And a few meetings during the week are so brief. It seems so little. 
for so great a holy scriptures that we possess. There are acres and acres that we haven't covered and that I feel that I'll never cover. All preachers are racing to the end of their life, you see, and their short ministries with a massive Bible. And life is not long enough to expound it. It's not. I feel that. So don't make it harder by dullness of hearing. Don't make it harder by lack of interest and desire. Don't make it harder by saying less sermons, shorter sermons, briefer sermons. Don't make it harder by saying to the preacher, a simple word, just a wee devotional word. No, don't make it harder. Say, meet more and more and more be hungry for the word and by your hunger and desire and appetite you will manifest you're not these dull hearers that the apostle Paul is rebuking in the word so say to the preacher give us more of the word and that will be a very blessed preacher who hears that so may the Lord bless you all congregation with his word Amen. Let us pray.